African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. Well, thank you for joining us here on Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. I'm Benjamin Mushat. I'm back with you. And uh, yes, it is that time for African Dialogue on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. Well, today we're crossing live to Spain. Uh, we're going to be finding out what's happening at the UN Water Annual Zaragoza Conference, which starts today. But before we get into that and find out what's happening in that conference, we've got Onelin Zinzi to Give us our news. And looking at your headlines. Mozambique's outgoing president Armando Guebuza hands over the reins to the new president Philippe Nyusi today. Global rights watchdog Amnesty International has called on Zimbabwean authorities to respect a court order halting evictions from a farm linked to First Lady Grace Mugabe and nine out of ten cases of murder of journalists go unpunished. Mozambique's outgoing president Armando Guebuza is handing over the reins to the new president Philippe Nyusi today. Nyusi was Frelimo's presidential candidate when the county went to the polls last October. Frelimo won the elections with a large majority. Nyusi is reported to be a close political ally to the outgoing president Guebuza. President Jacob Zuma and other heads of state will grace the occasion. Opposition party Renamo, which is to be represented by at least 80 nine members of parliament has threatened to boycott the inauguration. Meanwhile, the South African National Defence Force has given details of its upcoming mission to flood-stricken areas in central Mozambique. The Mozambican government requested assistance. Around 10 people have died and thousands have been displaced due to flooding in the Zambezi and Manika province. Some SANDF personnel are flying to the area today to assess the situation. Spokesperson Kolani Mabanga explains which personnel will take part in the mission. It will consist of elements from the South African Air Force who will be able to provide helicopters that will airlift people from the flooded areas. 
as well as areas where which is life threatening to highlands. They will also provide elements from the South African military health service who will be able to provide medical support to the needy people. Should the situation require as well, we will be having South African Navy divers who will assist and help to conduct what is called session rescue. Sri Lanka's new government has asked the police to investigate what it called a diabolical conspiracy by former President Mahinda Rajapaksa to hold on to power even after he was defeated in an election last week. New President Maithripala Sirisena is trying to show up his government and prevent a comeback by the former ruler in parliamentary elections that may have to be held this year. Rajapaksa has denied the allegations against him. His allies say they have been subjected to threats since the elections and they have asked for government protection. Global rights watchdogs Amnesty International has called on Zimbabwean authorities to respect a court order halting evictions from a farm linked to First Lady Grace Mugabe. Amnesty's researcher for the Southern African Regional Simeon Mawaza says the Zimbabwean authorities continue to disregard the provision of the new constitution, resulting in serious violation of human rights. The High Court of Zimbabwe has reaffirmed that no one can just wake up and decide to evict people from the place of residence without following the law. Finally, in an unacceptable, it is un, it is unacceptable that nine out of ten cases of murder of journalists go unpunished. Head of the UN Cultural Agency, Irina Bogova, spoke at an event at UNESCO headquarters entitled "Journalism After Charlie Day of Reflection and Debate of Freedom of Expression." It has been organized in solidarity with France and the media worldwide in the wake of the killing of twelve people in an armed assault at a satirical newspaper called Charlie Hebdo in Paris last week. Ms. Bukova says United Nations Agency has mandated to pro- is mandated to protect freedom of expression and press freedom. The attack against Charlie Hebdo was an attack against freedom of expression, a pillar of this shared vision whose flag bearers are journalists. The numbers are staggering. Every seven days, One journalist is killed for doing his or her job. Nine out of ten cases go unpunished. And this is simply unacceptable. And recapping on your top stories, Mozambique's outgoing president Armando Guebuza hands over the reins to the new president, Felipe Nusi. Global rights watchdog Amnesty International has called on Zimbabwean authorities to respect a court order halting evictions from a farm linked to First Lady Grace Mugabe. And nine out of ten cases of murder of journalists go unpunished. Channel Africa News. Oh, you are listening to Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. You're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. And if you're listening to us uh, online, it's on www.channelafrica.org. 
Well, today we're looking at uh, this conference that's uh, taking place in Spain, the UN Water Annual Zaragoza Conference, which starts today and will serve as part of the roadmap for World Water Day 2015 and will focus on water and sustainable development. Now, this conference is essential as uh, the post-2015 International Agenda for Water will be decided at the conference. The conference, which is underway in Zaragoza, Gaza, Spain will focus on practical tools for implementing the future agenda in water and sanitation. More than 300 participants from the United Nations agencies and programs, experts, representatives of the business community, governmental and non-governmental organizations will meet at the conference for this discussion. And water is a big discussion, especially on the continent today, and also not just for the continent, but for the rest of the world. To assist us on this topic, we've got Sean Nakari, who is an engineer and the CEO of the Center for Affordable Water and Sanitation Technology. Now, that is a Canadian-based charity that has reached 9.3 million people with safe drinking water and basic sanitation in 68 countries. We'll find out what they do and how they do that. That's a big achievement indeed. And also on the line with George Constinides, who is a specialist and senior consultant for South Africa's Department for Water Affairs and sanitations and also working in various municipalities in the country. Now, let me start with you, Shona. Thank you for joining us on the program. Shona, are you there with us? I am. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you very clearly. Now, tell us a little bit about uh, your contribution at this UN Water Annual Zaragoza conference. Why is this conference essential for you? Yeah, well, this conference is focusing on a number of different themes in preparation for the sustainable development goals. As you know, the world has been has made some major achievements in terms of reaching people with water and sanitation, and yet there is still much, much more to do. And so we're looking at practical tools and um, approaches that we can be positioned to be able to achieve those goals. And, and tell us a little bit about your organization that you're working with, the Center for Affordable Water and Sanitation Technology. Now, I hear that you've reached 9.3 million people uh, in 68 countries. Uh, in, in, in how long have you been doing this for and uh, how have you achieved this? Sure. Our organization was founded in 2001 specifically to focus on the capacity gap and the opportunity that there is in terms of building human capability to reach their own own needs. So our organization focuses on providing training and support to the hundreds and thousands of organizations that have the mandate to serve their communities. Those could be small local organizations, NGOs, governments, and there's um, and building their human capability on simple appropriate technologies to to serve their own needs. There's um, currently a the International Water Association estimates about 800,000 people are needed in 10 countries to meet the water and sanitation goals. And so if you multiply that around the world, that's a huge capacity gap. And so where cost focus is on on building human capability, and we're the only institution in the world who is focused on the WASH practitioner level. 
Well, let me move on to George Konstinides, the specialist and senior consultant for South Africa's Department of Water Affairs and Sanitation. George, thank you for joining us. Now, when we look at the context of uh, South Africa and Africa, I'm sure there are much challenges in terms of uh, uh, the water supply, especially when you look at the season now. We're having some uh, uh, issues when it comes to the weather patterns, dry seasons uh, projected into the year. Can you highlight some of the biggest challenges in water supply on the continent? Yes, thank you. Um, first of all, thank you very much, Benjamin, for inviting me to your show and welcome to your listeners. Um, the, there's obviously a number of challenges um, in water services, but from, that depends what perspective we're looking at from. From the perspective of how, uh, the number of people that are influenced, I would say um, pollution of rivers and water resources is a key issue. Um, providing sustainable water service to rural areas who do not have access to water is uh, perhaps uh, another big issue. And what you alluded to in your question, um, providing an ongoing reliable, efficient and efficient water services, um, particularly in smaller municipalities and, and rural areas, is becoming a problem. Uh, we, as you mentioned, we had a number of interruptions in the water supply in, in Hateng, and it's not just interruptions in terms of quantity, but very concerning is also the quality of water um, that is um, coming in the smaller towns. So the basically the operation and maintenance of the systems, uh, the municipal uh, systems, is a big concern in addition to the traditional problems of pollution and uh, rural areas. And also, I think it's an international kind of a trend that you're highlighting there. It's not just affecting uh, South Africa or the continent itself. For Sean, I mean, uh, working from a global perspective, in terms of uh, meeting some of the Millennium Targets, and we know now we're moving into discussions of the SDGs, where are we uh, as uh, globally, and uh, will we meet those targets? Um, yes, South Africa has actually done very well in terms of the Millennium um, targets. Um, the, just to put it into context, the Millennium goal was that by 2015, half the backlog to access to basic water supply should be achieved, which meant um, in South Africa we had to meet a target of 80% coverage. Um, by 2012, we achieved in South Africa 94.9% well exceeding the Millennium target of access to water supply. But I think I need to put it into context uh, that South Africa, prior to the Millennium Target, set its own goal that by, 90, sorry, by 2014, that 100% of all people should have access to basic water. And unfortunately, we haven't achieved that, and it might take um, a few more years to be able to achieve 100% coverage um, to, to all South Africans. I want to move also now to Sean Akari in terms of asking her from a global perspective. I know that also at this UN Water Annual Zaragoza Conference, the big discussion will be the post-2015 international agenda for water. Uh, what areas must be covered there? And as an international community, are we meeting that millennium development goal of uh, water and sanitation, Shona? Well, <clears throat> pardon me, I... 
I would echo what George has said and put that into the into the global context is that the providing the reliable, sustainable services is of utmost importance and the ability to monitor, maintain and operate those systems into the future. Also meeting the those that are unserved and um, rural populations he noted, but also to in the periphery of, of many larger urban settlements is that there's there may be, for example, one standpipe that is serving 100 households and they're getting their water intermittently. Um, so we have, while we have, have done well in the focus on water and sanitation for the Millennium Development Goals, we, we still have, have a lot to do to, to address some of these challenges that George highlighted and that, that is in, in Africa, South Africa and, and globally. And in terms of this uh, issue of the post-2015 international agenda for water, Shona, what are we looking at here? Well, what what I'm personally focused on and our organization is focused on, as I, I mentioned earlier, is building human capability to be able to to move forward and and um, and meet their own water and sanitation needs. The um, the most countries have water and sanitation policies, but the level of policy implementation is very low. And when the and only about 25% of of countries have indicated that the tariffs that they have are sufficient to cover the majority of their operations and minor maintenance costs, which means that there has to be huge subsidies for the, for the current systems and infrastructure. So we need to start looking at other alternatives and other options. And one of the areas that we've seen huge success in, which um, you noted the number of close to nine and a half million people reached through through our work in building building people's capacity on low-cost, appropriate technologies that they can do themselves. They can treat the water in their homes and have better water tomorrow. Um, building the institutional capability, for example, there's an organization in Zambia, we built their their institutional capability to be able to train and support local organizations to in, implement these simple appropriate technologies. And now that Zambian organization is able to also build institutional capability within an organization in Ethiopia and surrounding countries. So we need to be doing more of that because the where we have the greatest opportunity to have broadest impact is building local skills and knowledge to be able to address water and sanitation needs and that will have a multiplier effect so that we can have we can have the reach that we really do want that that hundred percent coverage that George mentioned. George, your views there on what Shona is highlighting, looking at alternatives, low cost technologies, your views? Well um my colleague is 100% correct, and uh, that's what, uh, unfortunately, we're doing incorrectly in South Africa. We've gone a few steps backwards where we're trying to um, introduce technology which is um, much more at home in an affluent suburb in such as Santon. And um, we, it's worldwide accepted that the poorer the community, the more the community must get involved in, in order to ensure sustainable service delivery. And unfortunately, in South Africa, we're trying to do the opposite. We're trying to uh, provide um, piped water in very uh, mountainous, uh, especially uh, high, less, very, not very densely populated areas. And it's very costly and unaffordable. And this is why we have not met the 100% target that we're talking about. 
and in my opinion it might take a number of years unless we drastically change our approach and have a much more localized solution involving the community which is the international trend. I think in South Africa perhaps because of the social political past we, we, we want people to have what the, the urban people have. And it's, it's just unrealistic, though. Um, just to give you an example, some of the projects to supply um, in rural areas in this manner cost more than 100000 per household to supply a mere 6,000 litres of water per household. It's, it's extremely expensive, and that's why we have not met the target. And unless we change our approach, um, we would not be actually be successful. Hmm. Well, we're going to take a little break right now. We'll be back uh, speaking to our expert, Shona Kari, uh, who is an engineer and the CEO of the Centre for Affordable Water and Sanitation uh, Technology, which is a Canadian-based charity that has reached 9.3 million people with safe drinking water and basic sanitation in 68 countries. That's very impressive indeed. And also we have George Konstinides, who's a specialist and senior consultant for South Africa's Department of Water Affairs and Sanitation giving us uh, really an African perspective was also looking uh, into South Africa as a case study. We'll be back, but we're going to hear your views in terms of our communities. Do you think that uh, we are using the correct technologies in order to safeguard uh, our water, to use it efficiently? Do you think governments are doing enough in this regard, especially in rural communities, as was highlighted by our guests, where uh, technology is not really up to date when it comes to low-cost technology? Technologies. Let us know your views. Plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. We'll be back with our guest after this break. This is Lira, South African Afro-Soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, celebrating 20 years of South African freedom and democracy. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, today on African Dialogue, we are crossing live to Spain, Zaragoza, for the UN Water Annual Zaragoza Conference, which is serving as a part of a roadmap for World Water Day 2015. Why it's so important? It's it's important because it's looking at uh, the future agenda on water and sanitation. Up to 300 participants from the United Nations agencies and various programs, independent NGOs, business communities are meeting in Spain to really talk about this uh, uh, important issue of uh, water and sanitation. We know it's part of uh, uh, the Millennium Development Goals agenda. Now we're also moving into having conversations about the SDGs, and I'm sure that is uh, an important part of the conversation on how uh, this issue of water and sanitation is going to be reflected in those uh, sustainable development goals. Uh, On the line we have Shona Kari, who's joined us from the beginning of the show, who is the CEO of the Centre 
Center for Affordable Water and Sanitation Technology. Also, we all have uh, uh, George Kostinides, who's joining us from South Africa, a specialist and senior consultant for South Africa's Department of Water Affairs and Sanitation, giving us an African perspective. But joining us now, we have Josefina Maestu, who is from the UN Water Decade Program on Advocacy and Communication. Now, let's come to you, Josefina. In terms of uh, the conference in itself, uh, in terms of looking at the agenda in uh, this water and uh, sanitation goals, can you give us a little bit of uh, context? And welcome to the program. Yes, hello. Uh, it is my pleasure to, uh, to give you a good morning to the listeners of the African Dialogue on Channel Africa. It is a real pleasure to be here with you today. Uh, we have started. We have started the conference and we have started with two sessions, one on the pan-European region and one on Asia. And we are going to start straight away in about an hour with the opening ceremony. So we are all uh, very much into, you know, getting all uh, the conversation going. And the important thing about this conference is it's a dialogue between different uh, stakeholders, including media. So we all want to listen to each other, and the UN system has organized these conferences to, to listen, to see what the different social groups and the actors have to say. Of course, governments, we all work very closely with governments, we work very closely with civil society, with academia, and uh, we really with business as well, big business are here. So we are all trying to see how we can all contribute. And what are the substantive? Um, issues that, as you, have, you were asking me, what we are discussing. And basically what, what we are discussing is that um, uh, after Rio Plus 20, uh, member states uh, agreed to have a, a wider agenda on water. So it's true that we have really focused on the NDGs, on, on the reduction to half of the number of people without access to basic services of water and sanitation, and there has been a revolution in this regard, an incredible uh, increase uh, in, in coverage on access, especially to the very poor, and especially in Africa, as you know. There is still a lot to do. So we are focusing on this um, uh, uncompleted agenda. You want what, need, what we need to go towards uh, universal access. This is what the member states are discussing in the General Assembly about the objectives. We are also talking about water quality. 80% of the water in the world is not treated, and that pollutes our rivers and that pollutes our fresh water. So if we are having problems of access. Uh, one big problem is that we shouldn't pollute the water we already have. And we are talking about water resources management, improved efficiency. And we are talking about risk management. You know, we can see how climate change affects more and more and more everything to do with water, floods, droughts. So we need to be prepared. From the water community, we need to be prepared. So these are the substantive aspects. But what is very specific about the conference is that we are asking the question not so much of what, what we need to do, what, what is our vision, because that's already been discussed in the context of the General Assembly, but how we can achieve those goals that we are trying to so this is a, a conference about the how, not about the what. And uh, what are the instruments? What are the tools? So all the participants here are bringing their experiences. Mm. What has worked that mm. can help us achieve those goals? Mm. 
Mm. Well, I want to look at that, some of the issues that you've highlighted there, Josefina, and maybe I want to move this to George. Um, George, Josefina has highlighted some of the issues that will be on the agenda, universal excess, quality of water, water resources, and risk management. You can't really talk about those things when you don't look at the challenge of infrastructure, especially when it comes to the continent of Africa. That's an issue that we're facing, isn't it, the, the problem of uh, good infrastructure, um, yes, um, but there's two aspects on it. We often just quickly emphasize on the need for infrastructure, good infrastructure. And unfortunately, and this is um, something I'm very passionate about, we forget about the effective management of that infrastructure. And this is the supply-side management paradigm we find ourselves in. And in South Africa, for example, um, although I mentioned the statistics of 94.9% people have access to water, the infrastructure is there, but often if you have to look at the number of people that um, do not get um, water on a constant basis, um, although the infrastructure there is much higher. So um, this is what I would like to point out because the theme is also sustainability. It's not just about putting infrastructure, and we need to drastically change our mindset uh, and to, to make sure that once we do install the infrastructure, it's maintained and managed effectively. And I believe this is, in particular in Africa, this is where we're failing very badly. It's all linked to the institutional capacity and the, the poor performance of the institutional capacity. So um, I think we need a, a much more balanced approach. Um, so before we throw in the infrastructure, we must have a decent institutions, decent involvement of the, or adequate involvement of the community systems to manage it because otherwise we're wasting a lot of money. Your views there, Shona, in terms of uh, that uh, element that George is highlighting, speaking not just about infrastructure itself, but effective management of that infrastructure. I couldn't agree more. I absolutely concur with what George has mentioned. And the other reason that it's it's crucial that the local community is involved and part of managing it is one of the things about water is that it is different from place to place depending on the geography, the hydrology, the local rain conditions, etc. And and then you overlay it the, the local human culture. And so the the a critical component for sustainability or for that for the appropriate selection first of the infrastructure, large or small, and coupled with the institutional capability of that community or or organization or government um, is is critical for the long-term sustainability. Now, I want to look into the projections. I think it's important to speak about it, especially we're going through 2015. We are going to see a lot of changes, especially when it comes to the Millennium Development Goals. Coming to you, Josefina, in terms of uh, the new uh, proposed uh, uh, Sustainable Development Goals, where does the issue of water and sanitation fit in? I know the SDGs are going to be more uh, comprehensive, more inclusive in certain areas. Uh, Do we see uh, water and sanitation still becoming a priority in these new goals? Well, it is at the moment. Um, the, the, there has been a process of, the, of uh, creating the agenda that is being discussed at the moment in the General Assembly. Uh, and, the, and the Open Working Group, which is a group of member states that have been preparing that agenda, has already indicated that water should, be, should have a dedicated goal. 
and uh, they have agreed on that and they have put it forward to the member states to consider. Of course, now there's a question of negotiations. There is a lot of competition about, you know, what should be a goal and what shouldn't be a goal, and uh, that's what is being discussed at the moment. We don't want too many goals because then it preempts the importance of, of, of the goals that we will decide together, but, uh, but it, is, it is at the moment in the agenda. And in fact, uh, both in Rio Plus 20, and the open consultations we had during uh, 2013, uh, water uh, was coming out uh, constantly uh, as one of the main priorities in the space. So uh, agriculture so, uh, and water were very, very high in the agenda. Why is that the case, Josefina, in terms of water and being the main priority, especially when it comes to the agenda? How important is water for the international community? I know it's something that we take for granted. We've done a lot of water programs here in African Dialogue, but it's something that I think on an everyday basis we seem to take for granted. But from an international community, why should we care about the issue of water? Well, I think uh, the international community recognizes in Rio that uh, water is at the center, at the core of sustainable development. So the, the idea is not so much that, that water is really instrumental to achieve the other sustainable development goals. And that was very clearly accepted. In a way, that is uh, a good thing for water, but also it is a bad thing for water because if it's horizontal, if it is, it is cross-cutting, maybe it will be under other goals and it will not have the kind of visibility that it will have and the kind of focus it will give to member states to have it as a, as a proper goal. So there is this debate at the moment whether it should be a dedicated goal or it really should be instrumental. There are these two debates, but, but what is going to be there, I don't have any doubts. And I think the international community, if you are talking about member states, as I said, they do give them the, the proper attention and the proper importance. If you talk about the business community, in the 2014 World Economic Forum, business indicated that they, among the risks that they felt that it, they were more important in the world for the business community, water was the fair one. So they were really concerned not only about access, about you know basic services, that that's what we've been talking about with the, uh, with the Millennium Development Goals, but they were concerned about water scarcity and they were they, they were concerned about risks you know to do with, with climate change. So they were thinking that, you know, they really need to have water assured, so not only the services, but also good water management at river basin. And everything that we know in, in, in scarce, you know, countries that have a scarcity of water, like South Africa, that they, now the international community are realizing that that really is going to affect everybody. Well, we're going to take a little break. We've got great experts on the line. Shona Curry, an engineer of uh, uh, the Center for Affordable Water and Sanitation Technology. She's also a CEO of that particular center. And also on the line, we have uh, Josefina Maestu, who is uh, from the UN Water Decade Program on Advocacy and Communication. George Consonides is as well on the program. He's a specialist and senior consultant for South Africa's Department of Water Affairs and Sanitation. We're crossing live to Spain. What's taking place right now is the UN Water Annual Zaragoza Conference. If you just joined us, let's let you know what's happening there. It is a very important conference that is paving a roadmap for World Water Day 2015 and will focus on water and sustainable development. Also will uh, focus on creating an agenda for post-2015 on uh, the topic of water and sanitation, looking at issues of implementation. We've highlighted various
various areas when it comes to our program. But when we come back, I want to look at relationships, partnerships. I know in South Africa, there's a focus on just the government being responsible for the issue of water, electricity. But I'm sure this isn't a partnership. We need business communities. We need non-governmental organizations such as the Center for Affordable Water and Sanitation Technology, which is showing us some great innovations that they are embarking on. I mean, they've reached 9.3 million people with safe drinking water and basic sanitation projects in 68 countries. We'll talk about collaboration, why it's important, and why we shouldn't just let governments themselves just be the sole person or the sole body responsible for this particular issue of water and sanitation. We'll be back after this break. This message is meant for a listener in South Africa. Hi, I'm Gosazana Zamini Zuma, the chairperson of the African Union Commission. Ebola in Guinea, Liberia and Sierra Leone is causing untold suffering and loss of life. Despite these odds, we are inspired by the courage of the people, the efforts of the governments and the heroism of health workers and volunteers. It gives us hope and fills us with determination that we can stop Ebola. You can avoid Ebola, you can recover from Ebola, and you can contribute to the fight against Ebola. The African Union and member state countries have deployed health workers and volunteers to stop Ebola, but more is needed. You and I can make a difference. SMS stop Ebola to the number 40797 and donate at least $1 in your local currency. To stop Ebola. You can also donate through the website www.africaagainstebola.org. With your donation, we can send a thousand or more health workers to the affected countries. United, we can stop Ebola. Thank you. Well, remember that you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. You are listening to African Dialogue. Today we're crossing live to Spain. But just to remind you of that particular promo that you've just heard, go to our website, www.channelafrica.org, and find out more about how you can assist the African Union in order to fight this Ebola problem that we're facing in West Africa. But today on the program, we're looking at water. We, As I mentioned, we're crossing live to Spain. Spain. We're looking at the UN Water Annual Zaragoza Conference, which is uh, looking at uh, really the post-2015 agenda for water and sanitation. Before I ask the question that I wanted to ask about collaboration, Josefina, I know that we have to let you go in a few minutes because I'm sure you have a huge schedule there at the conference itself. But in terms of uh, uh, what we want to achieve at the end of this, it's not just a talk shop, hopefully, but as the United Nations, what do you want to see at the end of this particular conference? Sorry, I couldn't, I couldn't hear you properly. Could you repeat? I was just asking that you've highlighted some of the areas that uh, you, we're going to be looking at at this particular conference. But at the yes. end of it all, what does the United Nations want to achieve? 
Okay, well, we, the United Nations wants to achieve the serve member states. Of course, that's our our goal. But we are here to, to help them really work out what uh, the priorities of the member states are in relation to, to water and sanitation. So the, the United Nations nation, sorry, the United Nations system does not set priorities. We serve the member states. That's basically what it is. And we, the, the people who are working on, on, on water and sanitation, of course, we would be very keen to see a dedicated water goal. And we have been working for it. We had a, a working group with NGO Water working on, on preparing some documents and some proposals on how that open working group uh, proposals could be, what would be the proposals for the sustainable development goal, and we are now engaged in two things. One, you can see through this conference on, on implementation, what tools there are, and also on developing a reporting mechanism to help member states to see, to, to monitor their, their evolution and their uh, fulfillment of the, commit, of the new commitments. So that's what we are doing, just helping to make sure that everything that is agreed in the General Assembly is, is carried out and implemented. Well, thank you so much, Josefina, for giving us your time during your busy schedule there in Spain. And I hope that things uh, go well in the duration of the conference. Thank you very much to all listeners and, and for your interest. And good luck, South Africa. Bye-bye. Fantastic. Now, I want to bring that to you, Shona, what uh, she actually highlighted. Yes, the UN has a, has a mandate, actually, to actually facilitate this um, uh, ideas of how they can help uh, member states. But in terms of the states themselves, why is collaboration important? I mean, I'm sure it's not just uh, the role of uh, an, uh, the government itself. I was just reading this morning. In South Africa, we've been having some electricity problems and there's a solar plant that's just been finished uh, that's been done by an independent company. And I'm sure that just assists the country in terms of uh, uh, that provision of electricity. But why is partnership so important when it comes to uh, these types of infrastructural issues? Well, I think as as everyone on the on this discussion has mentioned is that water is cross-cutting everything and it, it, it's involved across everything that we do and so water knowledge needs to be common knowledge at all levels and um, the the opportunities to have a major difference by putting our collective knowledge together um, is is great and we need to we need to be addressing it through like you said having businesses involved in terms of whether it's the efficiencies that they create or the building building the infrastructure that they they um, are able to provide the water or whether at the very local level they um, it's the the informal the informal sector that that creates creates businesses and opportunities and in particular where business plays a role is in that the product and service delivery, whereas the government plays a major role in terms of creating the enabling environment for um, for us all to be able to play play our role and for um, the, the contribution in, around the, the monitoring for improvement. And finally, uh, George, your views on in terms of why moving forward is collaboration important, uh, especially for African countries. They can't do it by themselves. That's correct. And um, I think I want to go back to initially about what the international community should be doing. And uh, unfortunately, I couldn't listen, to, I couldn't hear the other guest speakers. I hope I'm not repeating anything they've said. But uh, one aspect I would like to promote is not just what is done, but how it's done. Um, I think particularly in Africa, we can't ignore things such as corruption. So we need to make sure 
that, that corruption is not facilitated through any of the interventions aided by um, international community. Um, and secondly is perhaps another um, point that it might be a little bit hidden and not obvious is the fact that we often, often we have industries or uh, companies, entities that are pushing big proje projects which might not be the best uh, option, uh, often for their own profit um, if it's a loan from a bank or what have you. And uh, going back to what I'm suggesting is basically that we introduce very stringent implementation of integrated water resource planning approach, management approach, where we look at holistically. And I just want to emphasize that's a key issue. It's not just about how we do things, um, sorry, about what we do, but how we do it. And the, if we implement the principles of integral water resource management, then we can ensure that the best actually uh, sustainable options come and not um, options might favor one person or the other or one institution or the other. We need to be able to focus on what's best for society on the ground. Well, thank you so much to George Konstinides for joining us. He's a specialist and senior consultant for South Africa's Department of Water Affairs and Sanitation. also want to thank Sean Akari, who's an engineer and CEO of the Center for Affordable Water and Sanitation Technology. Thank you both for joining us here on African Dialogue. Thank you. Thank you. Fantastic. That's how we wrap it up. Very interesting conversation we've had there. Different things highlighted. Capacity, alternatives, low-cost technologies, universal access, infrastructure, quality of water, water resources, risk management, effective management, whole lot of uh, areas. And you heard there from, uh, finally, from uh, George, corruption, the kind of uh, projects that we actually invested, which ones are the most effective? But what are your views? Let us know your views by SMSing us on plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. That's plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. It's almost eleven forty five. Just a few seconds. I've got Wisani Matebula standing by to give us our business news. Thanks, Benjamin, and good morning. The World Bank says uh, natural gas reserves in deep waters in Mozambique total around 12, rather 20 billion barrels. In the document, the World Bank analyst uh, said natural gas fields in the deep waters of Mozambique have reserves higher than in Angola or Nigeria, which are the two largest oil producers in sub-Saharan Africa. All African countries of the community of Portuguese-speaking countries except Equatorial Guinea posted growth in the period, notably Mozambique, which after growing 7.2% in 2014 is expected to post growth of over 8% by the year 2017. And South African Mining Union, the National Union of Mine Workers, says it will meet its members today to discuss the way forward at the Northern's Zonde Frey Platinum Mine in Limpopo province. This comes after the Labour Court granted an agent interdict against an unprotected strike at the mine. Rulani Baloui has more. The mine says employees have been instructed to return to work or face disciplinary action or possible dismissal. The industrial action, which involves thousands of workers, started on Tuesday. Meanwhile, operations have been suspended at Harmony Gold Mine on Gauteng's West Rand after a mine worker was killed underground on Tuesday. Investigations have been launched into the incident. Rulani Baloy.
Africa-focused oil and gas explorer Talo Oil has written off $2.3 billion in relation to exploration work and some of its assets in 2014 and also reduced its 2015 investment program for the second time. The London-listed company, which is working to contain Costa, made a dramatic fall in oil prices, also said it was continuing to review its core business. Talo Oil, which is Britain's fourth-largest oil and gas company, and a FTSE 100 company said it expected to make a gross profit of 0.6% in 2014, with revenue going up to $2.2 billion. In Kenya, the number of new cars sold in the country jumped 18% last year and is expected to grow further this year. This reflects middle-class demand and growth in the sectors such as construction. The East African nation's car market is dominated by low-priced second-hand imports from countries such as Japan. But investors monitor new car sales to gauge the health of the economy. New car sales rose to 17.17 in 2014. Commercial vehicles like light trucks and minibuses make up the bulk of Kenya's new car market. Let's move now to West Africa and Ghana, where the economy might of had grown by 4.2% in 2014, slowing sharply from previous years as it felt the impact of falling commodity prices and a fiscal crisis. The country enjoyed growth rates of around 8% for years on exports of gold, cocoa and oil, making it a magnet for investors who also liked its political stability. But however, its reliance on commodities has made it more vulnerable recently as global commodity prices fell. Growth slowed in 2013 to a revised 7.3%, adjusting its previous estimate of 7.6%, and the government-focused growth will ease to 3.9% this year. Financial indicators, the dollar at 11.56, South African rands 9.55, Botswana Pulas and 6.52 to the Zambian Kwacha. Also trading at 0.65 against the British pound and 0.84 against the euro. Commodities gold $1,230, platinum $1,231 a fine ounce. Brent crude oil is at $48.18 per barrel. That's your economics news for now. Back in an hour's time with another update. Well, let's uh, now move on to our sports. Musibudi Makura is standing by. Good day, sports fans, and starting off with football news, South Africa will enter the Africa Cup of Nations tournament brimming with confidence after dispatching Mali 3-0 in a friendly match in Libreville, Gabon, on Wednesday afternoon. Bafana Bafana prevailed via goals from Tulane Tlajwayo, Sibusiso Vilagazi, and Dean Furman, with Andy Lejali captaining the side for the first time at the Mona Dam Stadium. It's been a successful preparation campaign for Bafana Bafana. Sheikh Mashaba's men defeated Zambia 1-0 in their first 
preparatory match. They then went on to draw one all with Cameroon this past weekend. Mashaba says it was a job well done by the boys. Yeah, I think uh, it's finished now. What we're looking at is to go through to the tournament and uh, we are happy with our achievement uh, through the preparations. I mean, especially in the Cameroon and this game, we at least know what we expect where we're going to. It's going to be more than tougher than this. But I would like to say to our boys, job well done. This team that we're playing against got close, if not the whole team playing in Europe, eh? that we've got to know that it's not an easy game. But uh, finally, our boys stuck to the game plan. We said, let's not allow them to get behind our backs. Let's keep them playing in their own half. Let them uh, circulate the ball there. But when we get it, let's get it out of the danger zone into their own half and play combinations. Second half, that's what we emphasize on. We realized that they were sluggish, they couldn't run. Let's take the game to them in their attacking third. On a one-on-one situation, take them on. Why not? If they mark you, they mark you. I mean, we should have scored another six goals in this game. Unfortunately, it wasn't our day, but we're happy with the three goals that the boys have scored. Bafana Bafana will now travel to Mongomo where they will compete at the 2015 Africa Cup of Nations tournament. Their first assignment will be against the top-ranked side on the continent, Algeria, on the 19th of January. So on AFCON News, Group D is one that is regarded as the group of death. It features Ivory Coast, Cameroon, Mali, as well as Guinea. Ivory Coast, nicknamed the Elephants, boasts the golden generation of players, but are still without an AFCON title. Players like Didier Drogba, Didier Zakora have missed out a chance to win the coveted trophy, while players such as Kolo, Tore, Sayaka, Dene, as well as Bobubaka, Barry, probably have one last chance of lifting the trophy. The Elephants are ranked 28th in the world and 3rd on the African continent and are coached by Javier Renard, who won the tournament with Zambia back in 2012. Their key player is Wilfred Boni, who plays for Swansea in the English Premier League. Cameroon's national football team go into the 2015 Africa Cup of Nations tournament without legendary striker Samuel Edo and midfielder Alex Song. The indomitable lines of Cameroon are, as they are officially known, are coached by Falka Fenge, who was introduced, who has rather introduced young players who are eager to make a mark and win the Africa's biggest prize. The best performance of the indomitable lines was back in 1984, 1988, 2000 and 2002 when they went away, when they won the trophy respectively. They have Vincent Abubakam and Clinton Neger as their key players and pred- and, predict- and are capable rather of tearing the opposition defence apart. Meanwhile, Mali finished third in last in the last two Afcon editions, and will be looking at reaching the final for the first time since 1972. Mali are known as the Eagles and are not often counted as the favourite to win the competition, but have shown that they cannot be taken lightly, having reached the semi-finals four times since 2002. They are in a tough group and, to no surprise, Cameroon and Ivory Coast are seen as the favourites to progress ahead of them, who are the lowest-ranked team in the group. The Eagles are coached by Hendrik Kapazak and are ranked 49th in the world and 10th on the African continent. And finally, Netball News, Benny Seyman says she's ready to take over the big coaching role 
as the South African Women's Senior Head as the South African Senior Women's Co as the South African Senior Women's Netball Team Coach. Seman will be assisted by Dr. Elji Jordan and Martha Mosolowase. They will be tasked to take the team to the Netball World Cup in Australia in August. Seman says she's looking forward at the task at hand. I would love to work with everybody and transformation is well on its way. And I see not only white people, but I see our colored people coming through excellently. We've got lovely and wonderful players. So to me, it's not a problem. I'm looking forward to work with everybody. Well, those are your sports news at the hour. Stay tuned to Channel Africa on the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, that's how we wrap up the program. Thank you for joining us. Remember, African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday, so we won't be with you tomorrow, uh, but you can join us on Monday once again. But you can join us at 1100 hours Central African time. Interact with us in the meanwhile via Facebook, Channel Africa Facebook pages there, and Twitter, the Twitter handles at Channel Africa 1 or at African Dialogue, or you can SMS us on plus 27 Now, let's end with uh, the proverb of the day. I love these proverbs. I think uh, uh, Africans are the wisest. Uh, This is a Zimbabwean proverb. I kind of like it. It's a bit like, um, you know, on the edgy side, but I like it. It says, the axe never, the axe forgets. The axe forgets. But the tree that has been axed will never forget. (laughs) So don't mess with some people. I'm telling you. (laughs) I like this one. Let me say it again. The axe forgets. But the tree that has been axed will never forget. That's Africa for you. That's a Zimbabwean proverb from me, Benjamin Mashatam. Until next week, God bless.